as well. So good morning and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. So glad that you can be here with us or if you're listening to the recording, glad that you can listen. Uh, this is a good time to get a candle to light if you should like to do that while we are doing our candle lighting. And then you can settle into a comfy seat with your beverage of choice as we continue to gather. And so folks are saying hello in the chat. Uh, we have lots of people coming in. So Jeff Mihal says hello. Rajesh says hello. Jeff says hi. Okay, Judy, hello in the chat. Nice to see me. Yeah, I told you to say hello in the chat. Rajesh, hi, Judy. Good morning to all. And Lynn says, yes, hello in the chat, everyone. Vincent Tyler says, good morning, good people of Wes. Vincent, I just love your enthusiasm and joyousness in that greeting. Good morning, everyone, Susan Ewing says. And good morning to you as well. I am very happy to be here once again on a Sunday morning. Hopefully whatever adjustments Zoom may have made, uh, do not mess with people's ability to um, attend and give their attention and all of those fun things. So Shayla says, good morning all, and good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Be sure to set your, uh, your chat settings to the word everyone, because now that's what it says. It used to say something like all panelists and attendees, but now it says to everyone, which is what we want, right? Adam Goldberg says, good morning all. Please join us for coffee hour after the platform. Indeed, it's, very, it's a lovely opportunity to connect with folks. And Lynn says, thank you, Adam, for hosting the coffee hour. Julie Drizzen says, hello, y'all. Happy Sunday. Indeed, Laura, Tyler, greetings and salutations, visitors, guests, families, and members of West. There you go. There's some wonderful energy. We'll get started here in just a minute. As we gather together. Nancy McGuire. Hi all. Good morning. Indeed. If you are visiting, we'd love to see you, hear you. Well, we'd love to hear you, but we can see you say good morning. Donna Taylor, good morning, everyone, and good morning to you. Trang says, hi, everyone. Sorry that we didn't get to see each other at the postponed picnic yesterday. Hopefully we'll see each other there at the new date this Saturday, 828. Yes, 
I was very much looking forward to it, as I'm sure lots of people were. Next week, we'll make it happen. Okay. So folks are gathering. And we are just about ready to get started here. Mm, good morning, Joe London. Hello, hello, hello. It is always so nice to see people, even if all we are seeing is their letters on a, on a small screen, but it is truly joyous to, uh, to connect. Sue Smith, good morning all. Good day, good day, good day, good day. So, here we go. All right. Opening words for today are written by E.B. White. It's hard to know when to respond to the seductiveness of the world and when to respond to its challenge. If the world were merely seductive, that would be easy. If it were merely challenging, that would be no problem. But I arise each morning torn between the desire to improve the world and a desire to enjoy the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. We begin today's platform with music from Interim Music Coordinator, Leah Morris. Hello, Wes. Leah here. It's my pleasure to share music with you today for this platform. The spirituals and songs of the Civil Rights Movement are a perfect example of beauty and creativity being born in the midst of difficulty and oppression. In that great getting-up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great getting-up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great getting-up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great getting-up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well. In that great getting-up Get up, 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 get up,
Wow, that's terrific. Then we get not just one Leah, but many Leahs, and that's delightful. Good morning again, and welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I'm Judy Myers. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm the officiant this morning. Visitors from near and far, we especially welcome you. We hope that you'll say hello in the chat and that you might send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, at maceot at ethicalsociety.org. That's M-A-C-E-O-T at ethicalsociety.org. You can also fill out a connection form. Maceo will put that link in the chat. And we hope you'll join us after the platform service for a chance to say hello. Our chat will stay open through much of the platform service, closing for the address itself, and then reopening. If you do not want to see the chat, this is a good time to minimize it. Closed captioning is also available. <clears throat> That's closed captioning, and you can turn that on or off as you prefer. We continue our gathering by reading our statement of purpose so that we may remember the values that hold us together. Members are welcome to sign up to lead this reading. If you're interested in taking a turn to read the statement of purpose, you can sign up at tiny.cc slash readSOP. Today, the statement of purpose will be read by Adam Briskin Limehouse. Adam is a member of the Lay Leadership Development Committee and we'll say a little bit more about that before he reads the statement of purpose. Adam? Thank you, Judy. As she, Judy said, I'm one of the members of the LDC, and please keep an eye out in your inbox tomorrow for our annual recruitment email. Uh, we're looking forward to members sending us their self-nominations for the upcoming fall membership meeting, where we'll be electing one new member of the LLDC. The LDC is a major component of our self-governance, and we hope people will take a moment to consider joining so that we can help continue the work of Wes. Now, the Statement of Purpose. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith and human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We warmly invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. May it be so. If you have a candle at home, I invite you to light it now as I share our candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring a chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, there are many things in our hearts, and I'm particularly mindful of the people of Haiti as they cope with the devastation wrought by an earthquake and a tropical storm in rapid succession. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us.
Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. And let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. The reading today includes several excerpts from Don't Tell Me to Despair About Climate, Hope is a Right We Must Protect by Morgan Florsheim. Florsheim writes, my generation was born into a world where the climate crisis was already well underway. We've had it hanging over our heads our whole lives. I'm tired of being told that this world I was handed is irrevocably broken. I understand that the climate leaders from generations past are tired too, and that the decades of work have disheartened some. The youth climate movement deserves hope and optimism regardless. We cannot expect people to take care of the world when they're not given the resources to take care of themselves. The suggestion that a person must either be miserable or ignorant, that we must either accept the weight of the world or turn our backs to it, not only lacks nuance, but actively contributes to the suffering its proponents claim to want to address. And if we really want to make progress on the climate front, research by experts on climate change communication suggests, perhaps unsurprisingly, that people respond poorly to hopeless depictions of catastrophe, suggesting readers should be depressed about the future results in more apathy than action. In other words, doom and gloom do not a movement make. Where is the joy or satisfaction in fighting for a world that is already damned? I want a different narrative to follow, one that encourages self-care alongside activism, that works intentionally to foster excitement for the future we desire. I know that hope is not a happy accident. Hope is a right we must protect. Hope is a discipline, according to Maryam Kaba, an organizer and educator building the movement for transformative justice. The climate crisis is ongoing and also a bird is building a nest in the eaves outside my window. Come spring, there will be new birth. In shaky hands, I hold these two truths together. So ends the reading. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, I am Lynn Cox, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm the interim leader here at the Washington Ethical Society. As we continue the centering time of our platform, let us prepare for meditation. You may wish to adjust your posture so that you're grounded yet attentive. You may wish to close your eyes or soften your gaze. Let's start with awareness of your breath. Just be aware for now. Observe how your nose and mouth feel as the breath goes into your body. Notice how your chest and your diaphragm and your stomach feel as your lungs fill with air. Feel how your shoulders and your neck feel as you turn your attention to your breath. If you're carrying tension in your body, notice that. How does it feel to have air flow through your windpipe? 
How does your breath feel on your upper lip? Let's pause in awareness of our breath. We breathe in, taking in the air of the space around you. Though we may be distant from one another in this moment, we all partake of the breath of the world, the oxygen of trees and algae. And then we breathe out, joining our breath with the carbon dioxide of whales and wolves and the whole human family. We share our breath with the planet. For this and many reasons, we treat the breath of others with care and respect and do what we can to help our neighbors breathe more easily. Our shared air is with us through our shouts of joy, hiccuping cries, our regular breathing in sleep. We breathe in, remembering our connections, and we breathe out, sharing what is within us. We breathe in, knowing our interdependence, and we breathe out, knowing there is a place for what we bring to this community. We attend to our breath, resting in our link with all that is. Our meditation continues in silence and in the music that follows. When I rise, I will 
joyfully and when I fall I will fall like a leaf gracefully when I are so lucky to get to work with Leah. Well, like Morgan Florsheim in the reading earlier and like E.B. White in our opening words, I am struck by both the trauma and brokenness of the world and by the beauty and potential of the world. At times when I am drawn in too many directions, <clears throat> sometimes it helps to return to old favorites but old favorites that invite us to see the world with new eyes. In the spirit, here are some words from the Divinity School Address by Ralph Waldo Emerson. In this refulgent summer, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. The grass grows, the buds burst, the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. The air is full of birds and sweet with the breath of the pine, the balm of Gilead, and the new hay. Night brings no gloom to the heart with its welcome shade. Through the transparent darkness, the stars pour their almost spiritual rays. Man under them seems a young child and his huge globe a toy. The cool night bathes the world as with a river and prepares his eyes again for the crimson dawn. The mystery of nature was never displayed more happily. The corn and the wine have been freely dealt to all creatures, and the never broken silence with which the old bounty goes forward has not yielded yet one word of explanation. One is constrained to respect the perfection of this world in which our senses converse. Emerson invites us to open ourselves to awe and wonder to appreciate the beauty and potential of this world, this very world in which our senses converse. And it surprises me that I am inclined to agree given that I was almost destined to be a cynic. I was born six blocks from the White House during the Watergate investigation. Growing up in PG County, I heard traffic reports pretty much every week about someone's rally or candlelight vigil or festival to raise awareness or funds for an important cause. And I noticed that somehow, even though there was a constant stream of voices clamoring to be heard in Washington, somehow the Post and the Star and then the Times continued to come up with bad news as if nothing was getting better. So growing up near DC had its good moments and its rough moments and it didn't affect everyone the same way. But for me, there were certainly times when the evidence indicated that nothing mattered. 
Some days it seemed like organizing for justice was futile and the only thing I could do was speak up for myself. My first public witness event was the Rally for Women's Lives in 1995. And being friends with congressional interns and clinic escorts and peer educators had pushed me over from cynicism to believing that putting hands and feet and wheels on your beliefs made a difference. The sun was so bright that day, the speeches so resonant, the people so filled with life that one was constrained to respect that this world yet had some perfection in it. The feeling didn't last forever. I still have bouts of despair and cynicism. Some days caring about the world does seem futile. But Ralph Waldo Emerson, the poet, the, poet, the social critic and Unitarian minister knew about this empty feeling. He referred to it in his Divinity School address in 1838. He said that when we lose inspiration, something is missing from our observation of the world. Miracles, prophecy, poetry, the ideal life, the holy life exist as ancient history merely. They are not in the belief nor in the aspiration of society. But when suggested seem ridiculous, life is comic or pitiful as soon as the high ends of being fade out of sight and man becomes nearsighted and can only attend to what addresses the senses. So Emerson said that all people have divine nature and that being open to that divine nature gives a person the intuition to recognize truth because it resonates with what is persevering, what is eternal, what's part of the universe. Being aware of this connection leads a person to revel in beauty, to lead a moral life, and to actively remove the barriers that hide divine nature in others. Without this awareness, the world seems flat, comic or pitiful. But when this awareness, or as he puts it, intuition is active, the world seems poetic. Now in this community, not all of us find words like divine nature to be useful, but perhaps we can agree that there is something important and special in each person, something inherent, something that links us to the potential for making good choices. As our own Peter Bishop has written, there is a humanist case for intuition and an entry point for us in the 21st century to return to transcendentalist considerations of intuition. Emerson and the other transcendentalists of the mid 1800s believed in creating literature and art and education that would awaken people to this intuition. They agitated against slavery and for women's rights because of their belief the unfolding powers of the divine within every person. Many of the transcendentalists were Unitarians, but not all of them. In 1838, the year of the Divinity School Address, horror abounded, and every person with enough privilege to make a choice had to decide how much resistance and how much complicity they could embrace. Slavery, genocidal policy, and practice against indigenous people and other manifestations of colonization were real and present issues to activists at that time. Injustice was nothing new. The violence, theft, and destruction that are synonymous with slavery are woven into our nation's founding and in our enduring institutions. And even in Emerson's Massachusetts, 
where the practice of slavery within the state had been ended by 1790, textile mill owners and shipping company investors continued to build wealth based on labor that was stolen from enslaved people in cotton fields, sugar plantations, and rum distilleries. Anybody with wealthy friends, patrons, or parishioners knew someone who benefited directly from slavery. So then as now, Americans had to either come to terms with the truth of the atrocities being committed in their name or maintain an ongoing practice of mental gymnastics to avoid the truth. We can only imagine that Emerson was aware of Nat Turner's rebellion in 1831, in which about 70 enslaved and free black people joined a revolt in Southampton County, Virginia. He knew that radical resistance was possible. Emerson did speak out against slavery frequently and clearly, and yet it's possible he could have done more. Right? So are we feeling this resonance that we all have to decide how much resistance? The transcendentalists weren't perfect, but they did make an impact. Even though Adler was friends and sometimes collaborators with them, he expressed frustration that the transcendentalists groups were not organized as such to affect change through voluntary organizations or philanthropy. He criticized them for engaging more in talk than in action. And while that criticism is not without foundation, we can't assume that we ourselves are immune from the same critique. So it's worth studying the transcendentalists both for inspiration and for reflection on how we can do things differently. The transcendentalists knew, as many of you know, that working for education and for beauty and for justice is both tough and emotional. Some of us might say spiritual. It is a constant discipline of meaning-making and reflection. Emerson hints at some ways to deal with that. He would be the first to tell you, though, that each person should discover wisdom anew. Tradition is good if it invokes what intuition, the inner voice that is attuned to ethical action and mutual responsibility, knows to be true. Tradition is good if it invokes what intuition knows to be true. And for instance, we have discovered since the 1830s that using man to mean humanity does not reflect the dignity and worth in all people. I will leave Emerson's quotes intact and hope that we can hear them with new understanding. One question that Emerson and other transcendentalists pose is, can we attend to the high ends of being? to maintain connection with the best in human nature that runs through all of us while being truthful about the injustices of our time. The news this week is full of reasons why we need to find some kind of inner sustenance to keep us engaged. Whether your deepest concern is for the people of Haiti, the people of Afghanistan, those in the path of climate disasters, such as hurricanes and wildfires and flooding, or the ongoing public policy abandonment that accompanies the pandemic. There is a lot to worry about. One might be tempted to disengage from community, whether that community is one that calls us to save the world or to savor the world, or maybe both. And I am asking us not to disengage. I'm asking us to persevere, 
to stick together as a community, to find meaning in both the work before us and the beauty and love that make this world worth saving. I'd like to think that we can both be in love with the world and seek ways to relieve suffering, to incite change for the better. There is danger on the one hand of being infatuated with the world until we become complacent, unable to see the injustices that require our attention. On the other hand, there is danger of being so focused on creating change that we fall out of love with the world as it is. We lose the ability to appreciate the beautiful and the sublime that abide in the midst of brokenness. We might become cynical or burned out. Somewhere in the center of our shared values and traditions, we can find a balance between love in the present and reaching together for what might yet unfold. One way to practice opening our hearts to this balance is to be present to beauty. Direct experience with beauty in the world comes whether we are equipped with words or not. There are moments when a flash of beauty invokes awe and wonder, and the memory of that moment is repeated over and over until it becomes meditation. In this refulgent summer, it has been a luxury to draw the breath of life. Refulgent is a delicious word. It means shiny. Not just shiny in the sense that a new penny is shiny, but bright with an intensive force, shiny in the sense that the meadow is spotted with fire and gold in the tint of flowers. Bright like the shine of students on their graduation day. In this refulgent summer of 2021, it has been a luxury to negotiate with hungry squash beetles and then notice the deep textured color of the zucchini. It has been a luxury to feel the heat of the relentless summer sun over my head and then give thanks for the cool streams of water in the park or from the garden hose. It has been a luxury to observe from afar as my children learn things for, for themselves that I could not and did not teach them. There is so much beauty. And even without the distractions of mundane tasks, it's hard to stay present to beauty all the time because there's only so much refulgence a person can take. Too much shine can be glaring. Emerson suggests that beauty provides relief from itself. The cool night bathes the world as with a river and prepares his eyes again for the crimson dawn. Even so, nonstop awareness of the refulgent summer will quickly lead to a realization. It is hot and kind of smelly in some places. And there are cracks in the sidewalk that I'm gonna trip on if I am always looking at the sky. Well, then what? Then what happens to being in love with the world when something less poetically inspiring comes across our awakened senses. It would seem that being open to beauty where I don't expect it means being open to seeing things I might have wished to ignore. It means honoring the spaces in between. On a good day, all of these experiences lead me to unconditional love for the world. The inner work is to maintain a mature love for the world, one that sees the hidden beauty as well as the obvious. Mature love sees the flaws and the challenges as well as the growth potential 
I believe it's this kind of mature love that Emerson is praising in the refulgent beauty of summer. This mature love will help sustain a life of justice, equity, and compassion. Being present to beauty is one strategy for balancing love for the world and engagement for positive change in the world. Another strategy is being present to truth. Truth can be upsetting. It has been a difficult year to be a human being. For some of our neighbors, drawing the breath of life is not a luxury they continue to be afforded. We have grieved with the families who have lost loved ones to gun violence and police brutality. We have held each other in fear and sympathy following domestic terror attacks, suppression of political dissent and warfare. Survivors of abuse and sexual assault are constantly reminded of the shortage of justice in response to their trauma. We have watched the effects of climate crisis play out on store shelves in world migration and in the hazy red skies of wildfire country. Our government in our name, even with regime change, continues to commit human rights abuses against immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, and American citizens. There is horror in our own time. All the while, our coping resources have been engaged with the same life events they always have, deaths and divorces and diagnoses, distance from those we love, and a drifting sense of purpose. How do we hold all of this truth? How do we stay anchored to the high ends of being? A steady diet of outrage and despair make it hard to sustain the kinds of actions that have the most impact. There is the advocacy route, helping to suggest legislation, lobby for votes, lose, lobby for votes again, the next year, eventually win. There's the direct action route, following the lead of the people most impacted to disrupt business as usual and bring people together in building something new. There's the healing and support route, tending to the safety and well-being of our most vulnerable neighbors and boosting their voices in public witness. There are several paths of productive response and they are largely fueled by love, though anger and sadness also have their places. Uninterrupted outrage makes it hard to trust other people enough to organize effectively for change. Somewhere in our response to the fullness of truth, there must be room for creativity. Somewhere in our response must be the acknowledgement that beauty persists. Listen to the spoken word poets who are out marching in the streets as they spin syllables into being. Watch the murals go up in response to community tragedy. Hold on to the splendor of people continuing to care for one another. Being present to truth means continuing to be receptive to it in all of its surprising forms. And this is part of what, the, of what transcendentalism was about, that the human ability to experience truth is shaped by the transcendent, by the overarching sense of being part of something larger than ourselves, by our sense of the interrelatedness of all things. When people are open to being surprised by truth, the theory goes they are open to what is essential. And sometimes truth leads to anger, and that's real. But there is also the truth that love grows, that beauty persists, and that hope is a lived experience. Truth can't just sit there. It has to be spoken, sung, and acted upon. 
Emerson wrote about that in the Divinity School Address. If utterance is denied, the thought lies like a burden on the man. Always the seer is the sayer. Somehow his dream is told. Somehow he publishes it with solemn joy, sometimes with pencil on canvas, sometimes with chisel on stone, sometimes in towers and aisles of granite. His soul's worship is builded, sometimes in anthems of indefinite music. Right, so we need each other. We need each other to speak and listen, to create and see. Being fully present to the truth involves equal parts observation and action, though not necessarily at the same time. We can have periods of receiving, periods of contemplating, and periods of generativity. The complete truth is that we have both wholeness and brokenness. Actively appreciating the wholeness and seeking healing for the brokenness, hope in action helps keep that truth from going stale. And as Emerson points out, once we are fully present to the complete truth, we cannot help but share it. Being fully present with our neighbors in times of joy and in times of sorrow, being present with one another brings peace, even if we don't have easy answers about the meaning of joy or sorrow. In the midst of brokenness, we can love the current world and also the possible world. It is tempting to disengage when our communities don't have the perfect response or when we can't connect in the way that we wish or when we're feeling despair or when the work is overwhelming or when denial seems easy. Please stay connected. This is exactly the time when we need each other. There is beauty and love in this community too. Be present to beauty, the obvious and the hidden. Be present to truth, even when it contradicts itself. Through these, may we become present to the, to the faith that is kept between people in community. May wisdom from the past, the presence of beauty around you, and the revelations of your own intuition sustain you. May it be so. After some music, we'll have community sharing time when you can write into the chat about what resonated with you today. A framing question might help to spark a memory of a personal experience or your direct observation. If you like, you can focus your sharing on this question. What awakens your attention for ethical living, truth, or joy? What awakens your attention for ethical living, truth, or joy? As we contemplate, rest, and reflect, let us experience the beauty of the musical response. This song is called Joy is Free.
Wow, that is so delicious. And Lynn, thank you so much for your words. And this is the time when we add our own voices to the morning, sharing our reflections on the platform or what resonates in our own lives. <clears throat> you may consider the framing question that Lynn gave, what awakens your attention for ethical living, truth or joy? <clears throat> if you're joining us live, I invite you to share in the Zoom chat. Go ahead and um, set, put your settings to everyone. If you're watching a recording later, I invite you to share in the comments. And Rajesh says, <clears throat> Lynn, thank you. That was a brilliant platform. I too enjoyed it and appreciate all of the ideas that were presented. Joe London says, lovely song and it is truly delightful to hear Leah in all of her glory and uh, 
iterations. So if you have, if you'd like to share your thoughts, and I'm sure that there are many, um, please do so in the chat so that we can share them out loud. Peter Bishop says, words using our religious language that is consistent with all of science to talk about the challenges of life inspire me to address subjective details I for, have forgotten about. <clears throat> Pardon me. Julie Drizzen says, babies and young children inspire joy and require patience. Parenting is the masterclass in ethics. Indeed. Abby Dakin says, joy is easy for me, but action is harder. One inspiring vision of an end state I have is of a clean, vital Anacostia River that provides recreation, beauty, and inspiration for the people who live along it. Indeed. Hmm. And it is so, it can certainly be difficult to hold both beauty and truth in the same brain. Adam Briskin Limehouse shares with us that the West Sci-Fi Fantasy Book Group usually meets on the fourth Sunday of each month at 1 p.m. The August meeting of the Sci-Fi Book Club will be a chat with Sarah Pinsker, author of A Song for a New Day. And in the chat, um, uh, Adam has provided us with a link to join on Zoom at 1 p.m. So please do so. And uh, in my experience, sci-fi authors are good at imagining beauty and wonder despite all of the difficulties in the world. Peter Bishop writes also, although I appreciate use of religious language, my own concentration on objective thinking and logic makes it easier for me to explain larger issues such as the major points Lynn was telling us about. I find it very difficult to be as inspiring as Lynn is and Amanda was. Joe London shares, I experienced the duality of joy and challenge last week. I participated in a Leadership for Diversity Institute with NCBI, the National Coalition Building Institute, which bathed me in a beloved community. And then there was the news from Afghanistan. John Pfeiffer reminds us too, please remember to set the two in the chat to everyone in the chat so that we can all see your comments. Rajesh shows, shares, I was struck by the two words Lynn used, to savor or to save. I would add two more, to serve or to sever. I'm convinced that savoring the world gives us the optimism to work for change. Absolutely. Lynn says, Joe, I look forward to your bringing that joy to the CRC workshop on September 25th. Our upcoming workshop presented by the CRC. And I imagine that we can put 
a link to the registration for that workshop into the chat. If not, you can certainly find the information on Wes's calendar on our website. There we go. Lynn has put that in there. So if you are interested, and we hope that you will be in uh, joining us for that workshop, please do so. Just as we share our perspectives in this community, so too do we share our resources and gifts. Here at WES, we split the Sunday collection between our operating budget and a fund dedicated to justice and compassion. We appreciate each person's generous giving as they are able. This month, half of the offering is dedicated to family and friends of incarcerated people. FFOIP seeks to bring service, services to the children of the incarcerated and at-risk youth. FFOIP promotes social, cultural, and youth development as a way of avoiding intergenerational incarceration. Although we have a different um, group that we are dedicating our funds to, the phone number on the slide to give by text, 202-335-1885 remains the same. You can also make a gift online through the donate button on our website at ethicalsociety.org. You may also recall that West participates in a school supply drive for FFOIP every August, and this year is no exception. Check your email for a link to the Amazon wish list, and do not be confused by the difference in um, the what I am saying in the slide. We are happy to be able to share our resources with a number of different organizations. We've got one more week. This is the last week for FFOIP, the Family and Friends of Incarcerated People. And students in DC public schools have to be ready for an August 30th start date. So let's finish up the month with generosity. And it is um, an excellent opportunity to share gifts directly with the link that's in your email. So we will now receive your gifts and the continued gift of music.
Thank you so much to the many people who helped to create this morning's time together. Interim music coordinator, Leah Morris, the West Chorus and guest musicians, Pink Zebra. Membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, slide artists, John and Abby Dakin and tech host, John Pfeiffer, as well as Robin Kravitz for communication support. Thank you to Adam Goldberg for hosting virtual coffee hour today after platform. And thank you to those who are leading and supporting our work in the weeks to come. There are a variety of opportunities for West members and friends to connect virtually around shared interests and support meetings and discussion groups. Today, August 22nd, the Philosophy Group and the Sci-Fi Book Group are each meeting at one o'clock by Zoom. The Refugee Resettlement Team and the Immigration Justice Team are working on an organized West response to the impending arrival of new neighbors from Afghanistan. They will be able to announce more West specific details soon, but meanwhile, you may find it informative to attend a virtual town hall from Lutheran Social Services, who helps organize assistance for refugees arriving locally. That event is Thursday at 7 p.m. And I believe you will find the link to that workshop um, in the chat. The website has more information about that. The improv group also meets by Zoom this Thursday at 7 p.m. Contact Sharon Newworth for more information about the improv group. The time sometimes changes. Uh, so contact Sharon for accurate, up-to-date information. The West Outdoor Gathering was postponed to this coming Saturday, August 28th. Come to West, the West Grounds between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. Bring your own picnic and a fashionable face mask. We look forward to seeing you there. Check the website calendar and news and notes email that you get in your weekly email for details about all of our opportunities to connect during the week. You can find the calendar at ethicalsociety.org. Next week, August 29th at 10.30 a.m., join us right back here for platform once again. Interim leader Lynn Cox will lead a platform with the title Seven Gates, drawing from the ancient story of Iana's descent to and journey back from the underworld to explore themes of collaboration, loss, and return. We'll also welcome guest musicians, the Quartertones. Finally, thank you for being here with us. Now let's enjoy our closing song for the month, Get Together. Love is but a song we sing Here's the way we are You can make the mountains ring Or make the angels cry Though the bird is on the wing And you may not know
delightful. And as you may have known, that is Get Together by the Young Bloods performed by the West Chorus. Now I invite you to join me in our closing words for the month. Let us go into the week ahead with compassion, understanding, and commitment, finding and nurturing collaboration in the quest for a better world. There are a couple of pieces of information in the chat, the meeting, a link to the LSS meeting, a link to the West calendar. Julie Drizzen shares that the photo in the song makes me very happy. It's from El Rodeo. The Zoom philosophy group Details are in the calendar as well. Please join us for a virtual coffee hour by pointing your browser to tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour, all one word. You can also find the link on the slide in the chat. So tiny.cc slash westcoffeehour. Once we're in the Zoom coffee hour space, we'll divide into breakout groups which you're welcome to drift in and out of as you choose to greet different people. If you're new to our community, please send an email to our membership coordinator, Maceo Thomas, and introduce yourself. Maceo T at ethicalsociety.org. Also tiny.cc slash westconnects. Have a great week, all. Thanks so much for joining us.